0: Well, good morning. good morning. I'm excited to see everybody here this morning. We're still, we're still working on getting everybody out of their house, right? Yeah. We're not afraid of COVID. No, not. We're not going to be scared of COVID any longer. So um, I got some new faces in the house. So oh, good morning, ladies. Um, we've been in a series with Abraham. We're doing a five series, five different series through the life of Abraham. Um, And right now we're in series two, which is the covenant with Abraham. It's more the covenant with Abram because he hasn't been renamed Abraham yet. And uh, for those of you that are just joining us, we kind of took a look at the journey where it was like here was Abram at 75 years old in the land of Ur and God calls him out. And we don't even know anything before that about how he even had a relationship with God. So at 75 years old, he has this encounter with God where he says, I want you to leave your father's land. I want you to leave everything that you know behind, and I want you to travel down to this land I'm promising you. And then we all know in the story that when he gets down to this land that was promised to him, he built an altar there. And over a period of time, there was a famine in the land. So things didn't look right. Remember, we're diving deep into these stories here. We're diving deeper than just looking at it in the shallow where we read through real quick and we're like, well, Abraham was the guy that God promised and all my blessing and my righteousness comes through Abraham, but we take a deeper look into the story. So here's Abraham at 75 years old. He's brought his family. We've told you already that Lot was like his business partner, his nephew, who also owned a lot of, prop, uh, owned a lot of livestock and had wealth as well. And they travel down. Well, after he gets there and builds the altar, remember, all of a sudden, it's like, hey, uh, there's a famine in the land. I have to leave. And he goes down to Egypt. So remember, already at this point, in our human nature, we're thinking, well, God made this promise to me. And now it's not turning out the way he said. I even showed up in the land. He even told me this was the place. And now there's nothing to eat. And we're starving. And my livestock's going hungry. There's not enough food. There's not enough water. We have to leave and they leave and they go down to Egypt. And what does Abraham do in Egypt? He lies about who his wife is because he doesn't live in faith. He lives in fear. And he decides, hey, when we get to Egypt, they're going to see you, that you're a beautiful woman. A beautiful woman at 75 years old. Get the story right. You're a beautiful woman. And when we go there, they're going to want to take you and they're going to kill me. So you're going to say you're my sister. So remember he lies. He lives on Fear not faith in this moment. And this is Abraham. This is where our righteousness is accredited to. And we're looking at the human nature. We're looking at the human nature of what's going on in these stories. Because sometimes we come to church and we get plugged in and we're like, man, I'm just not, I just don't live up to those expectations that the Bible sets for myself. I just don't live up to what Christ (laughs) wants me to do. I'm I'm not like a Moses. I'm not like Abraham. I'm not, let's really look at these people and get to know that guess what? We're a lot like them. And we have a lot of things in common. So remember, then they leave Egypt. Remember that they get they get told to get out. The Pharaoh tells them, get out, go back. So they go back. And then remember, him and Lot have there's a strife between them. And remember, I told you that instead of having healthy leadership where it was like, let's work this out, Lot. No, he just says, Hey, go away from me. And then Lot, remember that Lot is now on the same promise. Lot's already traveled with him, Lot's listening, Lot's invested into this. Like Hey, I'm believing what you're saying about God. Hey, I'm believing that we're in this promised land. And then all of a sudden, Abram's like, hey, there's a problem between our workers. you got to go. And Lot says, well, I'm going to go take that nice, beautiful land over there, that, that, uh, that Eden-looking garden paradise, and he goes out of the land. And we all know, remember the story, eventually there's war, and, and all this is going on around them, okay? All this is going on around him, and Abram, at this point, we know that Abram's faith must really be wavering, Okay? Abram's faith is really starting to waver at this point. And then, remember, he says to God, like, hey, you know, like, he complained. Remember I talked about this last week, the complaint of Abram, where he complained to God. And what did God do? God created the covenant, the cutting covenant. And remember how we talked about, remember I explained to you guys the kingdom dynamic of what the cutting covenant was. Here, go take this three-year-old heifer, this goat, this, you're going to cut them in half, and they were spread apart. And remember I told you that back in that time when parties were making a covenant, and a covenant was something you could not back out of. This was a cutting covenant. Remember that God, that he, God told him to lay these animals out, and it was God who passed through the animals. That was the cutting covenant. And it was only God who played the inferior party making his covenant to Abraham. That I promise you I'm going to give you an heir. It's going to come from your blood. And you're going to be the father of many nations. So remember this is what happened. I like that covenant seal there. So remember that's where we're at in the story with Abraham. Okay. So last week we had a cutting covenant. And we know what we know what that means now. We know that not both parties passed through. Abram did not pass through the, the, the animals. Only God did. Which meant he played the inferior role. Like I make this. Dedicate, this is what I'm gonna do for you. That's it. There's no you don't have any part in it. There's nothing you have to do. So God took responsibility of this. So now we move into the story a little bit deeper. So um, I like to look at it like I like to look at it what we go through in today's society. I feel like, I feel like we're taught in today's society that you're in control of your own destiny, right? That's what we're that's what we're telling ourselves, right? That's what they're teaching our children in public schools. They're in charge of their own destiny. And as believers, we do believe that to an extent. Because I wrote in here, I believe as parents, believers or non-believers, we feel we can guide our children into our destiny, but more so as believers rather than non-believers. We want to force that will. You know, like we want to live out our dreams and all the things we didn't do through our children, right? I did. I wanted to push my kids to go do everything I didn't do. I wanted my kids to do way better than me. I said, I said it last week when I was messing with Skip a week or two ago, and, and Christian was over here playing music, and I said, are you better than your dad yet? You know? That's what every every father, we want our children to be better than us. We want our son to be better than us. But our but our ego doesn't want to say that out loud, right? We don't want to say that we want our you know, you're better than me. No, we just can't do that. So, um. How about, uh, so how about when I take a look at this story that we're going to move with Abram today, it's, you know, we're about, I talked about it yesterday, I talked about waiting on God's promises. Because at this point, God, Abram is seriously in the waiting phase. And it's funny, us as a church, uh, on our council, we're, we're looking at doing something with our audio, and our audio video. And we've been talking about this for six months plus, and we've come up to these frustrating points as a church council, like what are we gonna do? We have the funds, we have these ideas, we have these plans, we know everything we wanna do. And for some reason, the trigger keeps not getting pulled. And we're waiting, we're waiting for this, we're waiting for that, we're trying to reach out to this person, we're trying to reach out to that person. And I think that kind of what conclusion that we're coming to is that it's not time yet and we're still waiting on God to fulfill what he's gonna do in that area of our church. And until God does it, we're just gonna sit back and we're going to keep showing up every week, and we're going to be faithful, and God is going to show up one day, and the right person's going to come, and all of it's going to get taken care of, okay? But we have to trust and believe that. But see, up to this point, we've all kind of been like, well, here's what I think we should do, well, here's what I think we should do, well, here, here's what we're going to do. Here, it's like we're, 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 we're trying to let God be in control, but we're also kind of forcing our own will on it, you know? And it's like, how much, how much of that are we doing in our own lives today? How much of that are you doing in your own life today? I, there's areas in my life. I'm a pastor. There's areas in my life right now where I'm trying to force things to happen. There is. It's just natural. It's a natural part of what we do. But we got to really look inside of what's going on in the heart and why. We have to ask ourselves the why. Why, why am I trying to force my will and not waiting on God's promise? You know, I, I, I'm not a, I'm not big on, Lord, do something with my life. God. God gave me a vision through his word today that he's going to do something with me. So I'm going to sit on this couch and never move. And I'm going to wait for that to happen. That's not the way it works, okay? You take a look at the Bible. Every person that God called was doing something when they were called. Every one of them was doing something when God showed up. Saul was on the road to Damascus. He was a Christian hunter. (laughs) I call him a Christian hunter. He was on the road to Damascus when God showed up. You know, Moses was out tending flock, and God showed up in a bush. Everybody that God had a promise in their life was working and doing something when God finally showed up. So don't sit on the couch and wait for God to do, fulfill these promises in your life. you got to stay busy, okay? So... But how about when we want it so bad, instead of trusting God as he promised, we take it into our own hands? You know, we're like, we're like, I believe, I, I feel that, you know, I'll give you an example. I feel that God's going to bless me financially. So you quit your job and you start applying for these jobs that you're not going to get. Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense, right? I've known people to do weird things like this. And I don't like the word weird. I'll use the word strange. I've known people to do, no, they were crazy things. That's crazy, right? Quit your job. Okay, I've got a funny story. So you see, I'm saying the weird, weird, strange, crazy. Are you ready? I did this 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I did it. I was depressed in my job. Now, God showed up because I put the next, because the work was going on. I may not have seen it that way. I quit my job in the middle of the night, came home, told my wife, I quit my job. My wife said, you go out on the porch and you don't come in this house until you have a new job. I ended up with a new, I ended up with a new job. Immediately, like within a few days. In the industry I'm in now, and we're totally blessed. But it's just like, dude, who does this stuff, right? I mean, don't, I'm, not, I'm not recommending anybody to go home tonight and quit your job and say to yourself, well, that happened to Pastor Chris. I'm we're not, we're not trying to say go out and do that, okay, because it's not a good idea. It was, it was definitely scary. No. <laughs> so, so. And I'm going to try to get us out of here by 11. That's my goal every week. We're, we're here an hour. You know, I know that everybody's got a busy life and, and you know, um, and I can talk super fast so you know I can do it. <laughs> so how many times in our, in our life have we, heard, have we heard God's promise? How many times has God made a promise to you in your life and you actually had to wait on it? Come on, right? My calling to end up here and officially with this every week is January of 2022. The first time I ever had somebody look me in my face and say, Chris, you're going to be a pastor one day. I can just see it. I speak it on your life. was like 15, 20 years ago. You know how many times I wanted to push that to happen sooner? Like, you know, one day that's going to happen. to I me. Mean, one day that's going to happen. But, but guess what I did? I waited. And all that I did was I was faithful to everything that ever popped up when someone said, hey, do you want to do this? And I said, yes. Hey, do you want to do this? Yes. Hey, we're, we're, oh, you're answered prayer for us. We were getting ready to want to step out of this ministry, and you and your wife showed up at just the right time. Do you want to take this over? And we've just been faithful to every small thing, and we never pushed. I never pushed it because I was afraid, right? I'll be honest. I'm afraid, and guess what? I said it when I took over here. I'm afraid, and that is exactly where God needs me to be because if I'm afraid, I'm going to lean on him, and it's not going to be Chris. And that's what I've been doing. When I got here this morning, I went into the office. I've never even used it. I told myself I was going to start having some new habits, and I went in that office, and I spent a few minutes, and I prayed this morning because that's what I want to do. And I was in a coaching class all day yesterday, and I learned a lot of good stuff about coaching that's totally the opposite of how I can roll. So I'm like, okay, i got to learn some new skills. In fact, I have to do two coaching sessions between March 14th. So if you're a male, sorry, ladies, if you're a male and you'd like uh, some coaching sessions, I've got two 45-minute sessions I need to do between now and March 14th. So if you come see me, oh, there we go in the back. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) Got one of those two slots filled up. Mike might take them both, you know. Okay, so... So how many times in our life do we force things that we want to happen? How often do we do that? So why do we not wait on God? Why do we lose our trust in God's promise? Because if God says he's going to do it, why are you trying to force it to happen? Why do we do that? How about why do we not trust God to do the impossible? Because that's sometimes what this story is with Abram. This is the impossible. This is God saying, I'm going to... This is God saying it in any of us. It doesn't matter if you're living a life that's in, that you're just living a life you don't want to live anymore and you feel it's impossible to get out of it. You feel that you're in a job that you can't stand and you just feel it's impossible to get out of it. But God's let you know it's going to be okay, which is maybe a sign that it's going to change or that boss that you work for, the situation's going to change. These are things that sometimes you look at like it's impossible. That guy's not going anywhere. I can't stand him. I could work with this guy all day. You know, like there's certain things in our life that we just see that it's impossible. It's like, that's not gonna happen. But why do we not trust God? When we look at this story, we know that we we learn that we need to trust and that we need to believe in that promise because that's what God did. He made a promise. So Genesis 16, 1 through 16. I've been going a chapter at a time as we've been working through Abram here. It is in your uh, bulletin if you wanted to follow along. It says, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. So right here, this is right after the cutting covenant. This is right after God has just told Abraham. It was Abram still. I'm going to give you an heir. It's going to come from your own blood. Sarah, your wife, is going to have a baby. And he had just complained and said that she was childless, which meant at that time the word that he used in the the original translation meant that he was saying they had a cursed womb. Remember this, okay? So, and then God said, no, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do the impossible. Immediately following this, this is what Sarah does. And Abram, heeded the voice of Sarah, Right? You know, I heard somebody say one time, it's better to stay single, guys. You do a better job of serving God if you stay single, because if you have a wife, she's going to tell you things, and you're going to do this. You know, hey, remember the story of Adam and Eve? It says Eve ate from the tree. Well, remember I explained to you in the story, Adam was standing right there with her, letting her do it, because the story says she immediately turned around and offered it to the man. She didn't take it back to their house. He wasn't at home. He was standing there with her watching her do it, and then enjoying with her. That, that's what we got. we're guys, it's what we do. We please our wives. I'm not telling you to not go home and disagree with your wife. Just saying, it was better to stay single, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it says, then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abram, "May my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge, the Lord judge between you and me." So Abram said to Sarah, "Indeed your maid is in your own hand, do to her as you please." This is he's saying this about the woman that he just was given by the wife to take as a second wife. "Oh no, you do with her as you please." There's two there's problems going on over here. Remember that unhealthy leadership with Lot? Here we go again. Conflict, I'm gonna run away. You just take care of her. I don't care. Throw her away. Get rid of her. Do what you want. She's your maidservant. He just he just married this woman, his maidservant. So, and when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So Hagar runs. Now, this is you gotta remember, imagine here, here's Abram. He knows now she's pregnant, right? Maybe he believes at this point that he's fulfilling the promise. Because remember, he heeded what his wife said. But now he's telling this woman, he's, he's watching this woman flee. Is he doing anything to bring her back with the child that's his? No, he's not. It says, now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Not Abram. He didn't go back and go, Hagar. Now, you know what? I realized that my, I should do something here. I'm going to bring. No, he's at home. He's, he's not involved. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. I love how I love how God always asks a question Do he knows the answers. Where are you going? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? He knew the answer. It says, uh, the angel of the Lord said to her, she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bred. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Well, that's a small snippet, but we'll point out what's key to that. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So maybe you do or you don't know this, but it says here in this story that Abram was promised, or that Ishmael would be promised to also have an exceedingly number of descendants. Well, I don't know if you know this, but we're a Christian faith, the Muslim faith. They believe that that promise was through Ishmael. That's what the Muslims believe. They don't believe that Isaac was the chosen son. They believe that Ishmael was the chosen son. That's what they believe. So here in this story, you're seeing that it's, that it was prophesied there that his hand should be against every hand, and he shall, be, uh, he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. So let's look at what's going on here in part two. Why, why did they take it into their own hands again at 86 years old, so 11 years after the original promise? Why did they take it into their hands? I'll tell you why. And this is where we get to as believers Their faith was exhausted. Eleven years they'd been waiting on this promise. And I think this is some place that we all get to. Their faith was exhausted. They were getting tired of waiting because it's our human nature. What do we like? There's one word I like when it comes to anything I want. You know what that word is? It's three letters. It starts with N and ends with W. Now. I want it now. I want more and enough is never enough. That's the way we live in America. To be American, it's sick. (laughs) It's the truth. It's the truth. We live in a society where enough is never enough, and we want more, and we want it now. And we're going to step over anybody it takes to get there. Talk about we live in a society where we're doing this. We're forcing God's will all the time because we want it now. We want more, and enough is never enough. Sarah and Abram weakened in their belief. Not only was their faith exhausted, but they were weakened. They were just tired of waiting. Sarah was so tired of waiting. B, they acted according to the flesh. That's what happens here in this story. The flesh says, now more. Enough is never enough. That's impossible. That's impossible, God. I'm gonna make it happen. They acted according to the flesh. See, in, in Genesis 16 2 and through 4, Sarah said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. She didn't believe. Her faith was exhausted. Her belief was weakened and that she acted to the flesh. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. I give up. I'm tired of waiting. I don't believe it. That's what she did. Look at Galatians 4, 23 and 24. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through promise. The bondwoman was Hagar. The free woman was Sarah, the promise. Which things are symbolic for there are For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So let's look at a kingdom dynamic here in that story. Sarah is an illustration of the dangers of taking God's promises into our own hands. Her suggestion that Abram take her handmaid as a wife in view of her own barrenness resulted in the birth of Ishmael. A child who occasioned jealousy and conflict between the two women, eventually between their two sons, and to this day, among the offspring, between the Muslim and Christian faith, to this day. That's the danger of taking it into your own hands. So, two, the flesh led to what? Hagar's mistreatment. This was the new wife. Now she was being mistreated. Why? Because we listen to the deeds of the flesh rather than trust the promises of God. Sarah was now, what, more unpleased with herself. She was unpleased with the fact that she couldn't have children, but now that she went around God and tried to force this will, she became more unpleased. You could see it when she says, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maiden your embrace, and when I saw that she conceived, I became despised in her eyes. So now she was more unhappy. That's what happens when we try to take God's will into our own hand. That's what happens when we force God's will and we force the promise. That's what happens. What happens? We become more unhappy. If it doesn't get better. I want more. I want it now. It does not make it any better. You don't get more. You get less. What happens in uh, what happens in the story here? God intervenes to make things right. We see this time. And time and time again. I don't want to tell you that every bad decision in your life is going to be okay. But what, However, what I can tell you from personal experience, just like this story, is that God has taken every wrong I've ever done and somehow turned it into a right. Why? I don't know. Because his hand was upon me. Because this was his plan for me to show up here one day and end up at the rivers. Whatever, I don't know. I can't explain it. But what I do know is that I've done a lot of these kind of wrongs, and God has always found some way to make it right. Strange, but that's what God can do. That's what God has the power to do if you trust him. Why? Because you have to repent. You have to realize you were wrong. You've got to trust God. You're going to go through some pain, some discipline, and then God can fix it. Okay? But if you don't go through that process, that wrong just remains a wrong. Okay? So, what does God do in this story when he intervenes to make things right? Well, the first thing that he does is he makes a promise to Hagar, to the bondservant. God makes a promise to her, okay? He promises her that she's gonna have a son and that he's also gonna be a father of a great nation and there's gonna be a lot of people. He's gonna have an exceedingly abundant thing, but, she, but he also tells, him, tells her it's gonna be a wild man and his hand's gonna be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he will live amongst his brethren, which was the Israelites. Okay? So, he prophecies in that, that that nation's rebellion. See that in the story? By saying that his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand will be against him, and he'll be in the presence of his brethren, talks about, it prophecies that rebellion. That rebellion that we deal with today, between the Muslim and Christian faith. You know, there's that rebellion. Genesis 15, 9 through 12, the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under the hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitudes. So that's a lot of people. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. Any wild guys in the house? Wild women? Wild children? Wild children at home because they're too wild to be here? Get it, right? Um, He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. To say your hand is against every man means you disagree with everything. You fight everything. Truth, disbelief, right, wrong, doesn't matter. You're that opposition. The super arguer. It's never good enough. It's never right. I identify with this. I get it. I think, we, I think we've all had stages in our life where we go and we feel this and, we, and it's like an inner battle. We just like, oh, it's like, no matter what we're trying to do, maybe it's because we're trying to force God's will, whatever it is. You go through these seasons in your life where it's like, it's not good enough. Am I doing enough? It's never right. It's never good. You know, it's just like, oh, you're a battle with yourself. It's like an inner turmoil. Okay? But we don't want that. You know, so um, so what happens in this story? Again, after God intervenes and God makes things right, now that God has gotten involved and Hagar's been sent back to the to the village, and he's like, oh, you know, it's not mentioned in the story here, but let's look into the let's look into this. This is the woman that your wife just gave to you because your wife was afraid she wasn't going to have the promise. Your wife was afraid she wasn't going to bear you a child because you're in your 80s now. So he he takes the the bond servant. He marries her. He has relations with her. She ends up pregnant. She leaves. She flees because he he allows his wife to treat her horribly. Now all of a sudden she comes wandering back into the village. There's no talk of what's going on here. The reality is she comes back and probably somebody said, why have you returned? Well, She probably explains to Abram, I had an encounter with God. And here's what God told me. And God says, I am going to have a son. And he's going to be an exceedingly great nation. He's going to be a wild man. And his hand's going to be against every man and every man's hand against him. And God told me to name that son Ishmael. Right? Well, Abram honors Hagar. How do you know he honored her, Chris? Well, he names the child as spoken to Hagar from the Lord. So that means he believed her. She wasn't going to choose her son's name. He was going to choose his son's name. So he gave that son the name that was provided to Hagar while she was out at the well. Okay, That's something in the story, again, that we read through real fast, but you don't pick that up. So this is what's going on. So Abram honors Hagar, brings her back into the house, brings her back into the community, and he 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 he's going to name this child just like God provided the name, and God prophesied to her out there, and he honors her by doing that. So, uh, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So, again, we see in the story of Abraham doubt weakened belief exhausted faith they are a partnership you know this is where this is where it takes two strong believers to make it this is where it takes two people who are of it's where it takes you to pray for your spouse to get involved to invite them to come to church whatever it is because when there's a disconnect there things like this story that happens with Abram and Sarah occur Right? Because obviously you can see Abram had been waiting. He'd been waiting. And even just after the promise. I mean, come on. Is she there? She's present. She's sitting where Greg is. I'm cutting these animals in half, separating them. This smoke-like fire comes from heaven as a heated oven like it wrote, and it passes through. He makes this cutting covenant with us. He's promising we're still going to have a kid. Well, where's her faith? Because right after this story, she's like, "It's not going to happen." Have here, this is my maidservant from Egypt, the one we brought back with us after being in Egypt because of the famine. Because we didn't, because we had our doubts then. Remember when we lied about who I was? Yeah, we brought her back with us because Egypt sent us on our way and allowed us to take all of our possessions with us and didn't kill us for lying. God's hands not working there. Okay. What does he do? She's she's doubting. And what did he do? He people-pleased his wife. He people-pleased his wife. He didn't say to her, no. God said. But recall what I'm going to tell you here. Abram is the faith of our nation. Abram's righteousness was accredited to him by his faith. We're looking at this story. There was some really wavering faith here. Amen? I mean, come on. This is who we are. I share this stuff. I'm digging deep into this stuff because I want us to know that all these characters in the Bible, we identify with them. They are just like us. They are not holier than thou. And the same person I'm talking about is in the hall of faith. So guess what? If you have not done so much damage to the things God has promised you, you are in the hall of faith. Amen? You are in the hall of faith. Okay? Feel it. You feeling it? Eleven fifty seven. Ten fifty seven. I'm good. Finishing right on time. There's no football to watch. Praise God. Football's over. Football's 20, 20 hard Sundays. Twenty twenty-one hard Sundays. It's the truth, right? I quit watching football ten or fifteen years ago. For me. I'll watch I'll watch the Super Bowl. I finally came to a place in life where I was like, I was too busy with everything else I was going on. I was like, I don't have three to six hours on Sunday to give up anymore. Plus, I went through that Sunday afternoon funk where I would turn into the depression if I had to go to work Monday. But football wasn't helping that. Football only reminded me of that. I was like, oh, Sunday football. That means I go back to work tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, man, you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. Take a look around here. Take a look around this house, okay? I shared it, I shared it many times. And in no way is it an insult to us as a people. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bond I'm trying to share with us. Take a look around. Indiana Jones, Temple of the Dune. This is the cup of the carpenter. Okay? We don't have elaborate light shows. We don't have smoke coming out from over there. We don't have 400 people in here with 200 of them going home and beating on their kids in the car, yelling, screaming, cursing, and going on with their life and they do not practice Jesus Monday through Saturday. We don't have it. We've got the faithful few. This is the cup of the carpenter, okay? We don't have a ton of money. We've got a pastor with a grizzly beard and a bald head. He's intimidating. He looks strange. He's not your average pastor, but he's loud and he loves Jesus. And we love Jesus, amen? And God is gonna do amazing things at the rivers. And you know why? Because the faithful few are going to continue to show up in person on Sundays and we're going to invite new people and we're going to preach the gospel and we're going to look into the word of God and we're going to always read the word of God. Every Sunday when I come up here, my message is going to come from the word of God, okay? It's going to be God inspired. I'm not ever going to come up here and talk for 40 minutes. I've seen these pastors. Okay, I have seen them, and their church is full of people. you got 10,000 people because he's not reading God's word, he's not reading God's truth, and he's not convicting because that's why those people keep coming back because they have nothing to look forward to that's going to bring them down. I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm teaching God's truth. Okay? So with that, we're going to close. It's exactly 11. We did it. So Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time. I thank you for our people. I thank you for our church. I thank you for this building that you provide for us to show up on Sundays. I thank you for the faithful who get here before I do. They know who they are. I thank you for the faithful that work behind the scenes. I thank you for everything that you're doing. I thank you for the time that you're pouring into me. I thank you for the time that you're pouring into this family. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for our promises, Lord. I pray that we wait on them and let these things happen in your time, I pray it in Jesus' mighty name, amen.